0: Yo, 50 years of hip-hop. 50 years of hip-hop
1: from listener power, KEXP. Welcome to 50 Years of Hip-Hop. I'm Roddy Nickporn for Larry Mazzal Jr. And this week, Martin Douglas takes us back to 2011 with the track Thuggin' by Freddie Gibbs and Madlib. The story behind this track involves a comeback from the streets, the power of collaboration, and on top of it all, pure luck. It's interesting how stardom and success in the rap game is largely a gamble. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Sometimes you lose money for a long time before you hit your number. Sometimes your day job, whether legal or otherwise, is the thing that keeps you afloat until you win. Music nowadays is largely seen as a capitalist endeavor. People think if you work hard enough for long enough, if you do things the right way, if you know the right people you will come up same bullshit narrative as picking yourself up by your bootstraps but timing has a lot to do with it luck too and if we're staying in this mindset that music is a product to be sold you better have a good deal of craftsmanship and originality yeah Take Freddie Gibbs for instance, he's been referred to as the best rapper alive, according to some he has been for many years now. After a roller coaster of a 20 year career, he's finally enjoying the fruits of mainstream rap stardom, a major label deal, big concerts and music festival appearances. Not to mention a well-received side quest into the acting world.
0: Lil' Stank, that's your name, my nigga? I mean, do you on yourself? Do you wear diapers? Like, (laughs) what the f**k is Lil' Stank? I'll with it though, man. Keep grabbing it though, man. Y'all go check check out Lil' Stank.
1: When Frederick Tipton was a child, Gary, Indiana was considered one of the most dangerous cities in America. But... As is often the case with sensationalism, the city contains history well beyond a reputation perpetuated by news outlets. Gary is located a scant 25 miles away from Chicago, so close it's considered one of its suburbs, colloquially known as Chicagoland. In the early 20th century, Gary was one of America's leading cities in steel production, but by the 1960s, Its steel mills started closing and work in the industry started drying up. By the time of the 1968 assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and subsequent uprisings all over Chicagoland, white people were moving out of the city in droves. As of the 2020 census, Gary's population is nearly 80% black. In addition to being a textbook example of white flight, Gary was also a musical town. That's mostly because it was famously the home of the Jackson family. Michael, Janet, Jermaine, Tito, the whole gang. Young Freddie's parents were your average, working middle class folks. His mom was a school teacher and his dad had various jobs, including serving as a police officer at one point. According to Gibbs, his pops didn't always do things by the book when he had a
0: badge.
1: Gibbs said he started selling drugs in his early teens, but he simultaneously cultivated his athletic talent. In high school, he was an all-conference safety and wide receiver. To the point where Muncie, Indiana's Ball State University would offer Freddie a full scholarship. But that didn't last long. Depending on your source, Freddie either dropped out or was expelled. In any case, he found himself back on the streets of Gary. At age 19, running the streets caught up to Freddie in the form of robbery and gun charges. So he found himself eligible for what is called a pre-trial diversion. In layman's terms, Freddy could either serve whatever charges lay ahead of him or join the U.S. Army and attend boot camp in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. At the urging of his parents, he chose the latter. Freddie's stint in the Army proved to be short-lived as well, receiving a dishonorable discharge after getting caught smoking weed and, allegedly, selling it too. Ugh. Once again, Freddie ended up backing Gary, His hometown was like the bad penny that always showed back up, but his options became more and more limited. As he once told the journalist Jeff Weiss for LA Weekly, he needed to do whatever it took to make it out of Gary alive. That's when rap comes into the picture. Partly because of his proximity to Chicago, Gary wasn't nationally known for his rap scene, but it existed. One member of his community was a producer by the name of Finger Roll. Freddie didn't show up to Finger Roll's studio to rap, but in time realized he had more talent than pretty much any other rapper recording there. This is the one and only finger roll, no taming. You listen to that boy, Freddie Gibbs. From there, Gibbs self-released two volumes of a mixtape called Full Metal Jacket, which ended up in the hands of an intern at Interscope Records. That intern was Ben Lambert, better known by his nickname, Lambo. Armed with a diamond in the rough and incentivized by a potential full-time job with Interscope, Lambeau accompanied Gibbs to both coasts to secure a deal with the label. Both men got their wish. Lambeau was hired full-time, and Gibbs had a record deal. (laughs) But much like Gibbs' stint in the Army, that was short-lived, too. There were questions from the label on how they should market gangster rap in the age of Kid Cudi and Drake. Plus, the personnel was changing at Interscope. So, in 2007, Gibbs was unceremoniously dropped from the label. His major label debut, The Miseducation of Freddie Gibbs, languished on the shelf before intrepid file sharers found the previously unreleased material. Holding on to his precious diamond in the rough... Lambeau officially signed on as Gibbs' manager, and the two navigated the industry together. After slowly making his way through the ranks, Gibbs released the mixtape Midwest Gangsta Box Frame Cadillac music to breathless praise and rap critical circles. Gibbs' prolific mixtape output led to a deal with Corporate Thugs Entertainment, the label of Atlanta star Young Jeezy. And just as you might start to think, man, Gibbs finally found something that will last. Nope. That relationship would ultimately become short-lived as well. Gibbs later aired his grievances with GZ and CTE on the song Real.
0: Sounded deal with you and never asked you for a dollar cuz i was down with CTE plus i was getting gigs. I played my self love contract with the lick. Really thought i say this, it's just you ain't man enough to come discuss it. You want to be Jay-Z nigga, you just a fuck fuck.
1: Gibbs had to roll the dice one more time to create his career breakthrough. It would come in the form of a producer named Madlib. Here's Mad Lib speaking with Red Bull Music Academy.
0: What is it about Gibbs that that is? He's a, a good rapper. He's a good Gibbs. rapper. He's like my cousin. We just get along like, you know. Might shoot you, might hug you.
1: Like, I don't know, you know. As far as mainstream gangster rap goes, the name Mad Lib probably rang few bells at the time. But to a generation of underground stalwarts, Mad Lib was long known as a legend. For more context on Mad Lib, check out Dusty Henry's episode earlier in this series, which covers Mad Lib's 2004 masterpiece with MF Doom, Mad Villainy. Over in Oxnard, California, Otis Jackson Jr. found himself surrounded by music pretty much from the moment of his birth in 1973. Madlib told Rolling Stone in 2014 that he first heard Gibbs through his Cold Day in Hell mixtape. Gibbs and Madlib met through Gibbs' manager, Lambo, who used to work at Stone's Throw, which released many albums Madlib has worked on, including Mad Villainy. In that same Rolling Stone interview, Gibbs admits that he was still hustling when he and Madlib started working together. And that's part of what makes his writing work the way it does on their first collaborative single, Thuggin'.
0: Be like, real, you ain't never lie. The rap, my still do my business on the side.
1: The technical proficiency and verbal dexterity of Gibbs' first two verses is matched by the moral complexity in the third verse. For his part, Malib does what he does. The beat for Duggan is a sped-up sample with drums that make sure to stay out of the way. It's a perfect rap production in that it doesn't call too much attention to itself and keeps Gibbs, the MC, as the focal point. Duggan isn't a daring masterwork of storytelling or avant-garde musicianship. It's just a great rap song. So Duggan was released on Madlib's own imprint, Madlib Invasion. It didn't make the Billboard charts, like many independent rap releases, but it was most certainly platinum in the streets and highly favored among rap critics. Duggan is more of a starting point for Gibbs than a culmination. It marked the beginning of a long series of highs and lows. Gibbs released nine studio albums in the following decade, Including two full links with Mad Lib, Pinata, and his follow-up bandana.
0: Yeah, yeah a page, a page, chopping up the change cocaine in my Made it my whole month with my out, I seen today.
1: A Grammy nominated collaboration with the alchemist titled Alfredo.
0: And
1: his major label return, 2022's Soul Sold Separately. Gibbs also found himself embroiled in various controversies and setbacks, including court cases, rap beefs, and people lining to air out his dirty laundry in public. But it's safe to say none of that would have happened if Freddie Gibbs had not grinded his way to his status as one of contemporary rap's hallmark talents. With a few more rolls of the dice, he didn't just break even, Gibbs hit the jackpot. This piece was written by Martin Douglas. Our podcast manager is Isabel Khalili. And a quick reminder, stay in this feed because as this series winds down to the end of 2023, We have a whole other series coming up in 2024. I'm Roddy Nickpore, and this is 50 Years of Hip Hop, from listener-powered KEXP, where the music matters.